You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, brought to you by Anchor FM, whether you're listening on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the website for The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, wherever you're listening, this is The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, starring Garrett Ashley Mullet. This is episode 100, Q applause, episode 35 of season three, and actually, it's a funny thing, you don't know this, because I haven't told you, and how else would you know? I have a spreadsheet that I use for tracking the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show as I go on, so that way I remember what episode I'm in. That way I can write down in my Excel spreadsheet how many listens or how many plays Anchor is telling me each episode has received. I'm also keeping track of what date I publish each episode and the length. And at the bottom, I've got three different Um, I suppose you could say columns or three um, collections of columns, if you will. One for each of the seasons. So season one has its own series of columns or its own table. And then I've got one for season two and I've got one for season three. And I'm about to break out of the box that I have created within my Excel spreadsheet. My my spreadsheet is going to have to expand because this now is going to be a season that is larger than season one was. Season one was kind of the measuring stick. Season two was last year, and it was a dusting off and a pulling off of the shelf of something that I had basically just put on hold indefinitely because of life circumstances, my wife's health issues, Uh, professional uncertainty, job changes potentially, moving across the country potentially, a lot of stresses with the church situation where we were attending church at the time. There were just things that required immediate attention that I could not divide my attention and deal with effectively. And so I put a pause on recording this podcast and I came back to it last year. And uh, what was it, October, September of last year, actually Scott Walston, one of the listeners now to this show, he encouraged me, asked me if I was going to start a podcast or when I was going to start a podcast. Daniel Gaffney, another coworker of mine, asked me when I was going to start a podcast. And both of them, within a short span, had the same question. And I said, well, it's funny, I actually do have a podcast. I kind of forgot about it. It's been so many years so much life has happened since then, but I should dust it off. And so that was October 24th, 2020, that I started podcasting again. And so I consider everything from October 24th to December 30th, the last podcast that I recorded last year, I consider that all season two. And over the course of that season, about halfway through, I stopped recording one hour long episodes. I was aiming for one hour length episodes initially, and I started trimming it down 
to 30-minute episodes. 30 minutes and 40 minutes sometimes. But that area instead of an hour, an hour plus. And so all of season two was kind of getting the gears going again, getting the machine up and running again, trying to remember how do I do this or how should I do this. I started using Audacity as my audio editing uh, software. I had a much better microphone all of a sudden with my Blue Yeti. I bought that. And uh, it's gone much, much better. We have much better internet now, but uh, a much better process. I created a website for the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show also this year in season three. Got that up and running, and I'm really pleased with how that's developing. And I want to address something, and that is that originally when I started engaging in the public discourse like this, it was through the medium of uh, social media. It was through online forums. And then after a number of years of writing things on Facebook and friends and family, engaging either in disagreement or in applause and saying, hey, that's really helpful, thank you, and tagging their friends and their family, looping them into the conversation. After years of that, two of my cousins, Micah Hirschberger and Marshall Mullet, both had this idea that we should start, the three of us, a blog. And so we started On The Rock's blog with the intent of covering social and political and theological issues of the day, the really contentious hot-button issues that nobody else seems to want to address in this way, and that is in light of our Christian faith. How do we engage these issues in light of our Christian faith in an intentional way, in a way that makes sense, in a way that we can have a good conscience about, in a way that's helpful to other people, helps them to have clarity so that they're not confused? This is a very secular age that we live in where People of faith are supposed to just keep their faith to themselves. They're supposed to just hide their lamp under a bushel. And if you want to approach faith like it's a hobby, like you go to church and it's a country club atmosphere and it's a social gathering, first and foremost, it's just something that your family's always done and so you do it for tradition's sake, but you don't really love Jesus and you don't really love God and you don't love his word, then all of this is going to seem strange to you. It's going to seem like I'm a throwback to the Middle Ages. What am I doing here trying to incorporate my faith into my politics or trying to incorporate my politics into my faith? Like, what's what's going on? What are you doing? Um, but we have a different mindset. And the On the Rocks blog thing, I hope that uh, it kicks off again All of us just seem to have a lot of uh, tumult in our personal lives, our professional lives, uh, job changes, moves across the country, family upsets. Um, You know, I had a wife that had health issues, and we're starting to get that under control. Thank God. Thank you, Lord, for providing us the means and the opportunity to get here where we had good access to a good doctor, good health insurance. That is a blessing. God has provided richly, and it has not always been easy for me personally to remember God's provision when things looked bleak, but trust in the Lord. He will make straight your paths, and he'll provide. Jesus says to not worry about what you will eat or what you will wear or where you will live. 
Your Father in heaven knows that you need those things. And if he clothes the lilies of the field as gloriously, so gloriously that not even Solomon in all his splendor was arrayed thus, how much more so will he make sure that you have clothing? If he feeds the birds of the air who have such short lifespans and we don't even notice them half the time, or when we do, it's a fleeting thought. If he cares for a sparrow and knows even when one falls, how much more so does he care for you and he'll make sure that you have what you need. So I need to remember that as it looks like we're having a breakthrough in our personal situation to be patient with those who are in the midst of trial. They're trying to deal with a problem in their household. They're trying to deal with maybe a parenting issue. We've had some of those where it's just like, I don't know how to get through to my son. I, I don't know how to talk with my daughter about this. And I'm just frustrated. And I, I'm, what I'm doing is not working, right? I'm not making this in a... I'm just not, I'm not doing it, right? I'm not doing this right. I'm, there's something off in my perspective or in my approach or my attitude. And uh, yeah, I need to have patience with parents who are similarly struggling, if they're indeed struggling. You know, some aren't, some are apathetic. And the reason why they're having difficulty is because they don't care or because they're distracted. They care about something else more. Some people are having issues with their marriages. And in the case of my one cousin, Micah Hirschberger, uh, he ended up having a wife who said, I'm done, I'm out. Uh, that was on her, that wasn't on him. I th from being very close to the situation, I think he handled himself as blamelessly as he could have, but it's still a hard situation. And when I have uh, compatriots at On the Rocks who had job upsets and moves and family issues that they had to work through and they had to take a step back from writing for On the Rocks. I have to be patient with that. And it, that wasn't easy at every turn. In fact, I think I was the, the last one to really take a step back from On the Rocks because I was seeing them go through trials and I was frustrated with them for taking a step back from the writing thing, from the engagement thing. I think, too, at this juncture in our country's history, in world history, the way that people respond when you present these newfangled ideas where they're so abusive, on top of everything else, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to wonder, is this just a waste of time? Is this a wasted effort that I'm trying to inject this attitude and this mindset into the discussion, that I'm trying to use this as an apologetics tool. I'm trying to present a reasoned defense for the faith like Augustine did with City of God, that I'm trying to incorporate my faith into every aspect of life like the Puritans did or like, I don't know, like Martin Luther did, where you don't say there's this category over here that if somebody has already established a kind of status quo about, I don't challenge that because I might get hurt for it. I might get punished for it. Well, we have a lot to thank men like Augustine and Martin Luther for, not that they were perfect men, but we have a lot to thank them for in being willing to have the courage to stand up and to say, wait a second, it is written. Don't you know that it is written? And to directly contradict false charges, false claims from within the church and outside the church, 
for God's glory. Because the truth is not just some convenient thing that we pick up when it suits us and we leave by the wayside. When it doesn't, Jesus says that we're to pick up our cross and follow after him. Well, Jesus also says he's the way, the truth, and the life. And that has to mean that the truth is critically important if Jesus calls himself the truth. That doesn't mean that we're always going to understand the truth perfectly. In fact, I'm persuaded, because it is written, that we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when things are made complete, and I believe that is not just the canon. Some Christians think that what Paul's writing about in Corinthians there is the completion of the biblical canon. I don't believe that that's the most intuitive interpretation of that passage. I think when Jesus comes back and he judges the world, he judges those who have been in rebellion against God since the beginning, he judges the church. When he sits on his judgment seat and says to those whose names are found in the book of life, enter now into your place of rest. And he says to everyone else, depart from me, I never knew you. That will be the turning point at which we can say things are made complete. And then we know fully, even as we are fully known. But until then, we know in part. And yet, when we know that something is, according to God's word, true, this is the way, walk ye in it. We cannot treat that lightly because to treat that lightly is, it is a betrayal of God. Uh, I'm not talking about legalism here and I don't think that the people who are doctrinally legalistic wherein you have to agree with them on every primary, secondary, and tertiary issue or else they don't accept that you're a Christian. They don't accept you as a brother or that seem to imply that if you have all of the right doctrine, so-called, uh, supposedly, if you're able to articulate all of that well, that that is what saves you. Well, that is not correct. It's not of works. It's by faith. It's by grace through faith that we are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that includes the works of finishing books, of reading books, of studying famous contenders of the faith, knowing their sermons by heart. It doesn't matter what a huge fan of Charles Spurgeon you are, but Charles Spurgeon doesn't save you. It doesn't matter what a huge fan of John Calvin you are. John Calvin doesn't save you. It doesn't matter what a huge fan of Martin Luther you are. Martin Luther doesn't save you. There's only one name under heaven by which men are saved, and that is Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, uh, if you're a, a Messianic Jew. It is Jesus who saves. He is the object of our faith. And as such, we should want to have doctrinal purity. We should want to believe the truth and live according to it. For one thing, because that honors God. And if we love God, we want to honor him. We want to please him. We don't please him so that we are saved. We please him because we are saved. And if we get those two mixed up, we get the cart before the horse, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't make sense. It's not fruitful. In fact, it's very off-putting and jarring and confused and frustrating. So all of that is to say 
on the rocks blog was a means to an end it was not an on, it, it was not an end unto itself we did the on the rocks blog writing thing for several years and i still hope that just like this podcast i picked up after several years my initial first season season 1 was uh, june 8th 2018 that was when i recorded my first episode of this podcast and I didn't pick it back up again, like I said, until October of 2020 when we moved from Montana to Colorado. And then I didn't even just immediately jump into it because you've got to get settled in and you're making new acquaintances and you're getting used to your new job and new surroundings and where's everything at. And you're trying to unpack boxes and get your furniture settled. And we started going to a new church, which by God's grace, we found in short order. It's amazing to me how quickly we found it. That was one of our big prayer requests is that we would find a church with people who were like-minded among whom we would not feel so bizarre because that had been our experience beforehand is that we always felt bizarre. We always felt out of place and it's enough already to feel out of place in the world because the world doesn't know God and it hates God and it loves death, it's enough to feel out of place in the world without needing to feel out of place in the church. And it isn't that every church has to look like Summit View Community Church in Evans, Colorado, and it isn't that Summit View Community Church in Evans, Colorado is perfect. You know that if you've been around the block a few times, you know that at a glance and on a handshake that this person I'm talking with might seem really nice, but they're, they don't have it all together, right? They want to, and they want to look in the meantime like they have it all together because you just met, right? How do they know they can trust you? So I understand that, but it has been a very great blessing to us to be here among these very fine people who love Jesus and they love one another, and they've been so hospitable to us as we come in. They love us. And in, in a genuine way, without wax. And I, you know, one of the people I've had the genuine pleasure of getting to know, and I don't know him as well as I should like. Uh, I know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. As uh, Bilbo Baggins says, uh, you know, Taylor Cross, if you're listening, Taylor, it's a pleasure to know you. It's an honor to know you. You're a good, godly man, um, saved by God's grace, no doubt, but um, I really appreciate you and your contribution and your example and your attitude. Your attitude is just top-notch, and it is a good influence on the people around you, so keep that stuff up. But one of the things that Taylor Cross was uh, talking with our small group, because we used to be in the same small group, now he leads a different small group, but one of the things we were talking about at one point as we were studying the scriptures, men's small group met together and we're trying to unpack a selection of verses and understand them better and asking questions and going back and forth. But he pointed out that the scriptures call us, the New Testament calls us to love without wax. And what that actually is talking about, it doesn't get translated that way because that would be the literal wording in the Greek, the way it gets translated into English is that we're supposed to love one another in a genuine way without pretense. 
but in the Greek it says without wax. And what that's talking about is when a sculptor would sculpt a statue, sometimes they would crack the statue. They would hit a little too hard in just the wrong place, and it would put tension on some thin piece that uh, just wasn't properly supported, and it would crack. And what they might do in order to cover the mistake is they might take some wax and shove it into the cracks and then take some dust from the chiseling and, and the, the carving process and then put that on the wax so that it sticks to the wax so that you can't tell the difference, except you can tell the difference when heat is up. You put that statue out in the sun and the stone doesn't melt the wax does melt, and then all of a sudden you see the mistakes made because it wasn't all genuinely stone the way that it was made to appear. It wasn't all perfect the way that it initially seemed. And so when the New Testament tells us to love in the Greek without wax, it's saying you don't put this disingenuous stuff to fill in the gaps. You don't pretend that everything is hunky-dory. You are genuine. And I, I'm not talking about airing all of your dirty laundry. You can't trust everybody. I know that. I know that from experience, believe me. But you don't pretend that you love people. You love people. You don't fake it till you make it. You figure out, okay, if I don't have this genuine love for these people around me, why is that, Right? Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief as the man responds to Jesus when Jesus says that I can, I can, if you believe. The man says, I believe, Lord, help me with my unbelief. And that should be also our attitude towards love, right? We love because he first loved us. Well, if we are not loving one another well, is that possibly because we believe but we need help with our unbelief? Is that because we maybe don't fully appreciate the love that God has for us. And we think that love is this work by which we're saved. And we think that maybe without critically examining it. It's just our attitude. It's our mindset. Well, I have to love because everybody's expecting me to, right? And that's what the church is about. Well, is that what the church is about? Is the church about, first and foremost, you loving everyone? Or is the church, first and foremost, about God loving you and loving his people and loving his bride is it first and foremost about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son we love because he first loved us they will know that you are my disciples because you love one another I'm waxing eloquent but the point I'm trying to get at is we need to remember which is the cart and which is the horse in so many arenas and if there's anything that I could say to sum up a hundred episodes now this is the one hundredth episode of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, it would be that we need to understand which are the carts and which are the horses when we talk about these things. Truth is important to us because it's important to God. To be unfaithful to the truth, to have lying lips, to stir up dissension among brothers, to slander, to bear false witness, 
to falsely accuse somebody as a way of getting revenge or destroying a competitor. God says very clearly in the Psalms and in the Proverbs that those things are an abomination to him. And so whatever is an abomination to him as a good father, as our father in heaven, we do not want to embrace. We don't want to tolerate that in our lives. And yes, the thing that we would do, we do not do, as Paul writes, the thing that I would not do, that is the very thing that I do, wretched man that I am, but he gives more grace. So you might find, as you're being honest, without wax, at least being honest with God, confessing your sins to him, repenting of them, you're confessing to trusted fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. As you're confessing your sins, you're finding, I am not doing this as well as I ought. I'm not being blameless. And when that's the case, you own it. Jesus says, if your brother has ought against you, and what that means is if your brother is offended by you rightly, I think, I assume, I presume, that's the way I've always read that passage. It could be more than just when he's offended rightly. But if you've sinned against your brother, at least at a minimum, and you remember it as you're giving your offering at the temple, you're obeying God, you're doing what God has called you to do, you're providing your offering, you remember that you've sinned against your brother and he knows it, and that's unresolved. Jesus says you stop everything. Do you know what kind of an offering God wants from you? He wants an offering of obedience, not a sacrifice. He desires obedience more than sacrifice. You go to your brother, drop everything, stop, stop. Go to your brother, be reconciled, repent, apologize, make it right if you can. That's part of repentance. It's not that you do penance and you save yourself. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works. But because you believe, you, like Zacchaeus, might have to repay the extra taxes that you collected over and above what was owed. If you took something that rightfully belonged to someone else and it is in your power to give it back, what better way to demonstrate a contrite heart? What better way to say, I am sorry. I want to make this right. I harmed you. I want to restore you. I said something I should not have said to somebody else about you in a way to hurt you. And I'm going to go to that person and tell them that I was actually in the wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I took something. I'm going to give it back. I'm looking at the news and I thought about going a couple of different directions with this episode. I thought about taking this top headline on thedailywire.com and I'll just read it for you. We're not going to do analysis on it because I think there's other things to talk about besides uh, that are, are more of a fitting way of marking the 100th episode of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. But the top story on the dailywire.com this morning, this Saturday morning, April 17th, 2021, is that Democrats want feds to block Miami Latinos from hearing conservative radio. Did you like the way that I over-pronounced Latinos? Is that... Um, now you know I'm really a cosmopolitan guy. Democrats want feds to block Miami Latinos from hearing conservative radio. Again, no analysis. I'm just going to leave that there because that is going to be the kind of headline that we have every day, 
every week, every month, every year, until we understand the importance of the truth. The left doesn't understand the importance of the truth. And actually, the seeds of this current political strife and confusion and delusion were planted theologically decades and generations ago by progressive liberal Christians deciding that God's word was not a value to them. It was not that big of a deal. It wasn't that important. And hubristically becoming wise in their own eyes, they thought themselves wise. They became fools. Their foolish hearts were darkened. God gave them over to a reprobate mind, just like Paul writes in the book of Romans. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They worship their appetites. You know, I talked in the last episode about Machen's Christianity and liberalism. And one of the interesting things I was discussing with Paul Pavlik, one of the two pastors at some of you community, he's a friend of mine and um, I just, I love him dearly and enjoy talking with him about these things. I asked him if he'd read Christianity and liberalism by Machen. He said he'd read little bits and pieces of it. Hasn't finished it just yet. Sorry, hope that's not embarrassing. Uh, Pavlik, Paul Pavlik. Um, I'm sure it's fine. It's whatever. If I apologize to him, he'd be like, what? Like, no. Um, <laughs> anyway, I was talking with him about it, and uh, he asked if I'd read it or if I was planning on reading it. I said, no, I just, just finished it up, and I am trying to decide what I think. I'm trying to I, – I, I appreciate what he says, what Machen says, and on some points I think he deserves a standing ovation and – Yes, very yes. And it feels like a time capsule reading the book because of the crossroads that Princeton um, University was at at the time that he was writing. He was writing as a professor at Princeton. I think it's a very interesting read because the seeds that were growing, they hadn't just been planted, but they were growing into something recognizable that he recognized in light of the scriptures and in light of historical Christian doctrine and practice and, and life. Um, he's writing in, in confrontation, you know, not in a divisive way, not in a contentious way, but in a bold and direct way, contending for the truth. And Paul asked me what I thought of it because I told him, I said, yeah, I just, just finished it. And I said, um, I said, some of what he writes I'm 100% on board with and is very beneficial and I immediately understand and and accept as good and true and helpful and right. And some of what he wrote, I'm still just trying to contemplate, I'm trying to think about, is that quite 100% true? And I'm trying to think through the ramifications as as he asked. He says, are you you just concerned with the ramifications? Yes, that's part of it. But also, is it fully true? Not is it at all true, because lots of things are Somewhat true, partially true, but is it the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help me God. Uh, hand on a Bible, you can swear all of this is correct. Especially if I'm going to recommend it, if I'm going to refer this to other people and say you should read it, I want to, I want to be confident of that and have that settled. And one of the big things that I kept thinking about is where Machen distinguishes between. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. On the one hand, that's what Jesus says. 
in the Gospels. And on the other hand, by contrast, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness so that all these things will be added unto you. In the one case, that is the Christian life. On the other hand, you have liberal Christianity. You have the social gospel. You have the church as a country club atmosphere. You have the everything's always been this way and this is my pew and let's not change anything and let's not ask the pastor after the sermon, does that make sense? Is that is that right? Let's not do that because the gospel is a means to an end, not an end unto itself. It's a means to the end of feeding the poor. It's a means to the end of political transformation. It's a means to an end for world peace. It's a means to an end if you're following this train of thought and you're keeping up with current events. It's a means to the end of censoring conservative radio or infringing on people's Second Amendment rights or censoring people's uh, social media engagement. You know, I got an email and didn't read it just yet. I just saw the um, subject line. And it said that Facebook and Instagram were removing posts critical of one of the Black Lives Matter co-founders' uh, recent real estate purchases. She just spent millions of dollars purchasing real estate. And a lot of people on the right and the left, among conservatives and progressives, a lot of people even within the Black Lives Matter movement are rightly asking, what is up with that? You trained Marxists seem to be living rather well these days. You were campaigning, <coughs> stirring up grievances on the basis of class warfare and the rich have too much and we need to get ourselves some of that. And you took donations. And now look at that. Look at which neighborhood you want to live in. Look at what kind of a house you want to live in. Let's look at where you want a vacation. Let's look at how you want to dress. It was a ruse. The best players of this socialist communist game have played that angle after they get absolute power. You play that game of moving into your palace, the people's palace, I'm sorry. Yeah, and that's, I'm sure what she'll say, is the people's palace. You play that after you have all of the power necessary to destroy your critics. When the Trotskys start feeling like this is not what I signed up for, you just took all of that money and ran, this was a scheme, you're a con man, you can just have them shipped off to Siberia. But if you don't have the power to ship people off to Siberia just yet, too soon, too soon, Black Lives Matter, trained a Marxist. But alas, that is the world that we live in and it's nothing new. There's no new thing under the sun. You go back thousands of years and you read about these empires in Greece and Rome and Persia and Babylon, 
and India and China and Japan, you read about people who seemed at first blush to be really fine. And apart from Christ, they couldn't keep it up. Their piety, like Machiavelli, like Alinsky, was a means to an end of fooling, of entrapping, of misleading, and ultimately taking advantage of the people who put their trust in them. So also with these socialists, these progressives, these leftists, these liberals in America, you have, I think, some liberals who are not signed up for depriving people of their civil liberties. They do think that government can get bigger and bigger and bigger and solve problems, but they don't like the dark turn that their political allies in the past have decided to take here. They don't like that people are being silenced or losing their jobs. They don't like the cancel culture thing. They don't like that you can't tell a joke without fear of having your career, your social life, your education canceled. They don't like that people are potentially going to lose their Second Amendment rights, and that taxes are going to go through the roof, that people are going to be laid off, they're going to lose their jobs. Universal basic income only works until you run out of other people's money. Inflation will catch up. And all of a sudden, the liberals are realizing, oh no, what have we done? All your sins have found you out. That's what you've done. We tried to warn you, and you, like a fool, like the proverbial fool, can't just settle for a rebuke. You know, a a rebuke goes farther into the heart of a wise man than a hundred blows on the back of a fool, according to Proverbs. So a fool has to try this socialist experiment a hundred times and have it fail abysmally. They have to see the physical, human, social, psychological, emotional, spiritual suffering of whole nations of people a hundred times before they're willing to admit we messed up, we made a mistake. And so much of it really, 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 really does, as Machen points out, come down to your view of God, your view of man. We become wise in our own eyes. We think we can play God. We think that if people give us enough political power, we are going to be able to bring about heaven on earth. We're going to restore the garden. Not by obeying God, not by honoring his word, not by loving one another humbly, not by repenting of our sins. No, 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 no. We're good people, don't you know? We're going to flatter whoever is gullible enough to listen to it, who doesn't know any better, like sheep going astray with the wolf. We're going to tell them that they're good people. And anybody who wants to say something to the contrary and to point out historically, this is a bad idea. This is always a bad idea. There's nothing special about us that makes us immune to the consequences, guys. And because I love people, because I love people, political engagement is a means to an end. It is not an end unto itself. I've been doing some soul searching ever since On the Rocks, ended up on the rocks, so to speak. Am I being silly here? There are a lot of people that criticized the three of us 
about the political engagement that we were distracting people from the gospel. No, 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 no. No, we need to think rightly about these things. We need to honor God with what's been entrusted to us, like the servant who's been given talents to invest. You want to bury your talents in your field because the master is a hard man who reaps where he doesn't sow. If you want to opt out of politics entirely, I think it's because you're afraid of losing that investment and being chided for it and being embarrassed and humiliated for it. Yes, I realize there are plenty of people who pretend that Christianity as they get into politics, as they talk about these things, and it's a mask, like I said, with Machiavelli. That was exactly Machiavelli's advice, flat out. Not, you know, you can kind of look at it from a, a different angle and interpret it that way. No, read The Prince. Read Machiavelli's The Prince. He flat out says the prince should pretend at virtue, pretend to have religious convictions, and then do whatever it takes behind the scenes when nobody's looking. Publicly, your perception, your reputation should be that you honor God. Privately, you should have absolutely no restraint. You should do what your enemy, your competitor, your rival isn't going to expect. Catch them flat-footed because they thought you wouldn't go there. And then, bam, hit him like a Mack truck. I'm paraphrasing. Obviously, there weren't Mack trucks when Machiavelli was riding the prince. But you get the picture. We have to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And to be fair to Micah and Marshall, I think they stepped away for similar reasons to why I eventually also stepped away from the blog, why I deleted my Facebook and my Twitter. At a certain point, it became clear that in order to be faithful with all of what God has entrusted to me, I have to take a step back from engagement in this sphere. My wife's got health problems, and so triage, I've got to handle that responsibility first, and we get her health figured out, and then I come back. And I don't know that you know what that'll be like, actually. I've been working these podcasts in in the morning before everybody wakes up. And then when everybody wakes up, I'm running interference because my wife's not feeling well. And then I'm showing up late to work because, for one, I mean, it's part of the reason I love my industry is it's not usually so time sensitive unless it's a call in the middle of the night. Whether I show up at 8.30 or I show up at 8, the whole thing doesn't grind to a halt if I show up 30 minutes later and you kind of create your own schedule. But I show up at 8.30 maybe sometimes because before I leave, I need to get everybody lined out. I need to get everybody set up for the day because mom's not feeling well. Well, that's about to change, ladies and gents. God willing, I hope, not to boast. But to boast in the Lord because this is something he's done. As I see it, it was providential that I was able to move to Montana from Ohio in 2012 and get a job with ConocoPhillips as an operator with no oil field experience whatsoever. And I worked there for four and a half years and then I get into instrumentation. I get into field services. I get into automation. And then I meet the person who referred me for this job, Tyler Stevenson, this job with Sterling Energy that I have right now. Because I was trying to honor the Lord, 
and to do a good job, to be a good steward of what had been entrusted to me. I did a good job for Tyler Stevenson. And then he gets a job down here in Colorado. They ask him if he knows of anybody that he can recommend and refer. He refers me. Next thing I know, we're getting a relocation package, and I think that's providential. I look at that as providential. The point is not to highlight my faithfulness. The point is to highlight the fact that God looks after his people. So on the 100th episode of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that however popular I am or am not, however successful this podcast is or is not, one of the uses of it is to think through the ramifications of what God's Word says because the truth is critically important. If Jesus is the truth, the truth, if God's Word is true, if God loves the truth, if we're supposed to tell the truth, we should know what it is. We should strive to understand it. If we have wisdom literature in the scriptures that tells us Old Testament and New to get wisdom, to ask for wisdom, if we lack it, to live in an understanding way with our spouse, to not provoke our children to wrath, to submit ourselves to governing authority, to love the brotherhood, to honor everyone, to fear God. We should strive to understand what that means in our context today, here, now. And it should change our politics. It should change our professional engagement. It should change our social interactions, our relationships. Anyway. Oh, no. Oh, shoot. Ha. Okay. Well, I said anyway. I'm not supposed to say anyways. I have two post-it notes. It's obviously not enough. I need a third post-it note. I said anyways. Um, trying to weed that out of my vocabulary. Thank you for listening. If you've been with this podcast from the beginning, from episode 100 to episode zero, I hope it's been a benefit to you. And uh, here's to 100 more. God willing, we live and do this or that. Thanks for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.